Brown signs on with the buds, but who's going to be on the outside looking in? Pilar, Superman, he does it again. And the Sharapova sham. All that coming up right here, TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. I'm feeling this. You feeling it too, Toronto? What's going on, Toronto? It's 11 a.m. on the dot. Gareth Wheeler with you. Wheels is back. The best news isn't even that I'm back. It's that this time next week, Leafs lunch, Petrillo makes her a triumphant return. That's factual, right? That's not fake news? Next tu- Yeah, next Tuesday, Leafs lunch is back. This is the thing. The hockey world resets. They start new. Start fresh after Labor Day weekend. So if you know anyone that works in in the hockey world, they are partaying this weekend. Yidge. Which was weird coming in today. James Duffy is in the building. I was like, J.D.? I took on my glasses. I cleared my eyes. I'm like, what is a hockey guy doing in the building before Labor Day? That's not allowed. I thought there was like a force field up in this place. No, you shall not pass. But James Duffy was in the house today. I won't say the name, but someone else was in the building I haven't seen for quite some time. Maybe a former hockey puck. I don't know. You'll have to wait and see what's coming your way Courtesy of Canada's sports leader, later next month, okay? Just a little tease right there. Thrilled to be back at Wheeler TSN on Twitter. You know how to get me. The text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca was in Montreal for the weekend for Toronto FC's victory over the Montreal Impact. I want to play you a little bit later on. Don't worry, Scrizzy, not now. But a little bit later on... uh, my second goal call. Toronto FC made it 2 nothing over the Montreal Impact. I'll explain how that situation played out. And I'll walk you through what I was doing at the time I was calling that goal. <laughs> it was hilarious in retrospect. And let's just say Joey Saputo, the owner of the Montreal Impact, probably not the biggest fan of mine. Which is okay. I represented the six proudly. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. Plenty coming up. We I just found out we have two tickets, Joe Narsa, or four? I think it's two tickets to Canada, Jamaica. International soccer friendly at BMO Field this Saturday. Four TFC players playing for Canada. Should be a great day. Out there at BMO Field, a young and exciting team. We have two tickets to give away. Each and every show this week. How about that? That's right. Two tickets, right? Not four? Two. Okay. If you call me up, we'll try to make it four for you. Try to pull some swings. Strings, that is. Swings? What the? Um, so that's coming up. Paul Stalteri going into the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Had an outstanding career 
Werder Bremen, Tottenham Hotspur, Canadian national team player, and now under-17 men's national team coach. He's the guy that's coaching the kids that you will see really in prominent roles come the 2026 World Cup where Canada will be in the World Cup because we're going to be co-hosting that competition. So looking forward to, to Paul Stalteri uh, joining me a little bit later on. WTF, I got a bunch of them, all to do with my trip. I just didn't go to Montreal. Uh, I brought my wife for the road trip as well. Went to a place called Montebello, beautiful Fairmont Resort, Van Cleek Hill, Ontario, the home of Bowes Brewery, outstanding, and a bunch of shenanigans in Montreal. I, I ran, this was the, fir- the first time in four years I ran into Dan freaking O'Toole on the streets of Montreal. Dan and I, like our friendship goes way back, ran into him randomly on the streets of Montreal on Sunday. He went to his first TFC, his first soccer game, mind you. Got a ticket, hopped on the train with a bunch of Toronto FC supporters making the trip. And Danny and the boys, well, they had a time. Great seeing Dan O'Toole, his first soccer game, the 401 Derby in Montreal. Pretty incredible. Uh, you heard me off the top. I want to talk to Sharapova, Sham, Kevin Pillar's defensive play. But let's start things off. I put it out on Twitter, and this happened over the weekend. Like, I feel like there's a lot that I need to reset and catch up on, and I only missed three shows. I was gone Thursday, Friday, Monday, and I feel like I'm about three weeks behind. Nonetheless, Connor Brown signs his deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I believe it's paying him $2.1 million per. I think it's one point six, and then like 500000 in signing bonuses every year. If you want to know the specific breakdown. But what's a bigger deal for the Maple Leafs is now with Connor Brown in the fold for the next three years. Good contract. I think no one's complaining. I think a lot of people like the way that Connor plays. 20 goal score in his first real year with the team. Um, he was in the rookie camp a year ago, kind of like where Jeremy Bracco is now. Yet, Connor Brown made an impact in whatever role he played. Moved up and down the lines. There's a lot to like about the kid, basically. Scored some big goals on the air. But the question is, which Maple Leafs forward or forwards are expendable now? And we, we all, I think we all knew that the Brown deal was going to be get done. But it still leaves so many forwards on this team competing for too few spots. There's at least 18, I count, and potentially more. And Kristen Shilton, our Maple Leafs beat reporter, she wrote on tsn.ca, check out that piece about Brown signing, that essentially there's 18 bodies competing for just 12 starting spots. I'm no mathematician, but those numbers don't quite add up. So which forward or forwards are expendable? 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050 and 1-855-591-6876. That is 1-855-591-6876. 18 bodies, 12 starting spots. Which player or players should be expendable or are 
expendable for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that you just need to look at the lineup. I know they have a lot of bodies. They're going to send some guys down. They're going to be patient throughout the first month or so of the season. This is what all NHL teams do. Guys will go down, then they'll figure out whether it's through injury or through lack of performance, just who's not making the cut. And then there's a readjustment. Then there's movement. Then there's some smaller trades. Or some guys get sent down and other guys stay up. But with the Maple Leafs, this is my issue. You want to play from a strong, as strong of a hand as possible from the get-go. And right now, for me, they're playing with a weakened hand as long as they don't address their back end. They need more on the back end. Gardner, Riley, Zaitsev, Carrick, okay. Hainsey playing as a top-pairing defenseman, not having it. Marinchin, Borgman, Dermott. Go down the list of guys, question mark, question mark, question mark. You want to make sure that there's as few question marks as possible on the back end and when players go down through injury and the Maple Leafs remain remarkably healthy last year that you have ample NHL ready-made bodies playing on the back end. You don't need 18 ready-made forwards or guys who can potentially contribute out of the gate on the front end. The back end, you need more than four or five or six, however you want to look at that. There has to be a trade that's going to be made in training camp. Isn't there? Am I being naive to think that it's a virtual certainty that this team will make a move? Just look at the players they have. Just look at their roster. Tell me which forward is not going to get a shot. Down the middle, you have Matthews, Kadri, Bozak, Moore, Gauthier Hurt. Smith will bounce up and down, so your center position taken care of. Left wing, JVR, Marlowe, Hyman, Martin, Levo, Fair, Kapanen. I just listed off seven names right there. On the right, Marner, Nylander, Komarov, Brown, Soshnikov. And that's not to mention the likes of Bracco and other players who may make an impression. There's true competition for spots, well... I'm not sure that the door is going to be opening up anytime soon for any player on the outside. You have so you have too many bodies up front. So I'm asking you, which player or players do you make expendable? And when I go down that road, I end up knocking. Knocking on one door. And that's the door of James Van Riemsdyk. And I like JVR. I like the dude. I like the player. But he's heading into free agency, and he seems to be the guy who can get, relatively speaking, the most back if a team can sign him to a longer-term deal. He's 28 years old, okay? Right in his prime, so he can help you now. But I think this team is still trying to balance ambition in the present as well as flexibility and an eye on the future. And it's hard to look away from JVR because he's going to command or demand too much money for too much term, considering what else this team needs. And this team desperately needs help on the back end. Am I wrong saying JVR 
could, should, or is the most expendable forward on this Maple Leafs roster. The guy that you're more comfortable moving than anyone else. I know the team really likes Uncle Leo. They like Komarov. They like the veteran presence with this young team. And if they lose Leo through free agency, I think the Maple Leafs are more than willing to say, okay, we did our best. And Leo, by the way, is going to come in at a number far lower than JVR will. So it's dollars and cents at play here. In a perfect world, if this restrictive salary cap wasn't in play, keeping JVR for big money, big term, would be a no-brainer, in my opinion. But this NHL structure, I mean, it, it makes you make tough decisions, and it seems like JVR is the one that needs to go. So 416-870-1050, 416-870-1050. I'm going to take your calls at the top of the clock the text is 10.50.50, and the email live at tsn1050.ca. I put it out on Twitter as well, at WheelerTSN. I want to hear from you which Maple Leafs forward or forwards become the most expendable now that Connor Brown has inked his new three-year contract. So more Maple Leafs stock, uh, more talk about Kevin Pillar, whether it was defensive play, outweighs what he doesn't bring when it comes to his lack of production at the plate and the Maria Sharapova sham, all that coming up over the course of the next hour. Uh, Yesterday, I I was driving back from Montreal, and my email was blowing up, all to do with this Art Riles uh, Hamilton Tiger Cat story. Of course, I I mean, if you've not been living under a, a rock over the last... 24, 36 hours, this story would have been in your face. A struggling Hamilton Tiger Cats team with a new head coach wanting to bring in a smart football man with a checkered past. In terms of not only his, but the administration, the coaching staff at Baylor University turning a blind eye to all kinds of inappropriate and illegal behavior taking place amongst Baylor football players. The Tiger Cats were this close. They were bringing in Art Bryles. Scott Mitchell did say they were bringing him in. Well, that lasted about 24 hours before they rescinded that contract. Bryles not coming to the CFL, not coming to the Tiger Cats any longer. This wasn't just a big story up here in this country, but south of the border as well. Nancy Armour covers and wrote about Art Bryles and what turned out to be a crazy 36 hours for USA Today Sports at NR Armour on Twitter. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me. From your perspective, what was the reaction to the whole idea that Art Bryles was going to be given a quote-unquote second chance north of the border in the CFL? Um, I think it was a combination of, of horror and disbelief, um, you know, and it's not to say that, that he's not going to get another coaching job at some point, you know, there will come a day that somebody's going to take a chance on him and not back down. But I think the thing that, that surprised and, and is disturbing to most people here and, and in Canada too, is he hasn't really exp- you know, he's made apologies, but the sincerity of them has been questioned and you know, he hasn't done a whole lot else to show that he's remorseful or that he's learned from this. And this would still be a job that, yeah, granted, it's not college kids, but he'd still be affecting the, the lives and the decision-making of, of young men. And that's kind of a dangerous place for him to be. He's being removed from his job, obviously, with, with Baylor. 
Have criminal charges been laid in any of these cases, in any, in any of these stories, Nancy? No, um, there have been uh, seven, federal, seven federal lawsuits have been filed here. The, the NCAA is looking into it. Um, I don't believe that, the, well, there have been criminal charges against, I believe, two of the football players um, that were on his team. But against him, no, there's, there has been no talk of, of criminal liability. Yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with the story as obviously a lot of people south of the border that have been all over this covering this. Are any of the football players implicated? Are any of them still playing? Um. Well, two are, I believe, in prison, um, and really? we don't know the yeah, uh, yes, um, we don't know the names of all of the players who've been involved. Um, you know, some people have pieced it together. Uh, there are obviously Baylor players in the NFL, um, and that was another kind of interesting tidbit about this: is Robert Griffin III, who has has never been implicated in any of this, but he was at Baylor, obviously, when when some of this was going on. Um, the Tiger Cats have the, the right of first refusal to him if he decides to go to the CFL. And, you know, uh, RG3 and Art Bryle still have a very good relationship. So that also raised a little a couple of eyebrows here. Nancy Armour, USA Today, joining us here on TSN Radio. I'm Wheels. What, I guess what I'm trying to ask here, is, is this an Art Bryles issue or a Baylor University issue? Or can the it's, two simply not be separated? You know, that's a great question. And it's both. Um, the report, the Pepper Hamilton report that came out said this was a, a university wide failure. Um, and this involved students throughout the university, not simply football players. But the football team in the athletic department came in for, for pretty harsh condemnation because there was this culture of um, no responsibility and just turning the blind eye. I mean, there were assistant football coaches who were did their own quote unquote investigations of assault complaints. That just can't happen. Um, and you know, there have been emails and, and text messages that have been uncovered from Bryles that have not put him in the best of light. But ultimately, too, he's the one who hired his staffers. You know, he is ultimately responsible for him and and setting the tone and culture for his team. And that's where the big failure came in. Absolutely. And I'm not I think it was just a stupid move. I'm with everyone else. A stupid move by the Hamilton Tiger Cats moving for a guy like that when there are hundreds of really great football coaches, bright minds across the sport that would be available to take on such a role. It just seems completely silly for me. But what I'm trying to what I'm trying to decipher here is if Bryles is this evil figure, because obviously it reads horribly. And the public perception, a lot of people not aware of this case, will jump on the Hamilton Tie Cats back and, and just scream and yell, you know, about how stupid the entire situation is. But what I'm trying to decipher is does it read worse than it actually was, or were the crimes committed and what Bryles did or did not do, does that justify the venom that's being spit his way? There were allegations of four by four different women of gang rapes by football players. After one of them, Art Bryles reportedly said, what was she doing around those guys in the first place? I'll let you make the decision from that. Right. Well, that, that speaks volumes, right? That speaks volumes about the individual's character, which then would go to me. I know he has a previous relationship with June Jones. Why would Jones want to bring in a person like that into the organization? Is this just a problem with the football world or the sporting world or any profession where there's certain individuals you trust, and no matter what their track record may say, as long as you're good with them, then you could potentially be in running for a job or promotion, etc. 
Well, I think that's that's a great point. Um, you know, for our brows to get a job, it's going to have to come from somebody who knows him previously or knows him as a friend as well as a football coach. And I think this is it. You know, he, June Jones has probably heard from Art Briles, you know, Art Briles version of the story. And, you know, as you pointed out, the, the Ticats are not exactly having the greatest season, and he's looking for any way to turn it around. And, and Bob Young referenced that in his statement this morning. Um, but I think, and especially in this day and age, you really have to take a closer look at guys. You know, if, especially if somebody's been in trouble. Art Briles was revered at Baylor when he was there because he, he took this program that had been nothing and turned it into a national powerhouse. The school doesn't just get rid of a guy like that unless there is serious reason to do so, um, which it did. Um, so I think if you are the rest of the Ticats organization, if you've got somebody who comes to you and says, hey, I want to bring this guy in, you've, you've got to do due diligence, and it's got to be better than what was done because clearly this was a failing, and it took you know, both the CFL and, and kudos to one of the Ticats sponsors, Barry's, for being very outspoken in their unhappiness with this move. I wonder if this will indicate positive change. As Nancy Armour joins us here on TSN Radio, I am Gareth Wheeler. Because in the football world in, pre, in, in, in the past, I mean, Ray Lewis was accused of murdering or being a part of a murder. Jameis Winston, I mean, his track record doesn't read well. And there are many other examples, right? And have we reached a point where players like coaches are going to be held to a higher standard or the fact that this guy's a coach and coaches are more replaceable than quarterbacks or defensive linemen, et cetera, that the hypocrisy will continue in cases as such. I would like to think that it's a turning point. Um, uh, you know, it depends. I, I really do think it depends on the situation. Sadly, you know, if somebody is good enough, there'll be, you know, exceptions will be made. But I, I do think we've seen a, a shift in mindset or a slowly changing awareness when it comes to sexual assault and domestic violence that the, these are not acceptable forms of behavior. Um, and it doesn't matter your celebrity or your skill or, or whatever it is. There's no excuse for this. So I'm hopeful that this is, that this is a sign that we're, you know, we're starting to get it. But, you know, there's still work to be done. There always will be. Right. Uh, Nancy, I don't know if you know this. What's the reaction in Dallas, like at Baylor? Because when accusations were made, and, and obviously the pending invest or the, the following investigations of Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. I mean, with Joe Paterno, there was questions about what he knew and what he didn't know or what he did know and how he chose not to act. And that's really damaged his legacy, although at College Station, people still defend Joe Paterno to the hills because he brought, you know, a winning culture, a winning football program to that community. What's been the reaction to all this at Baylor? Like, is Bryles a guy that people still defend? Or with his dismissal, do people believe that that was the right decision that was made? There, there is a pocket of alums who are still very much Bryles backers. Um, we saw it last season. There were people who showed up wearing T-shirts in support of him. Um, you know, part of that was was um, tied into the fact that his son was still an assistant coach at, at Baylor, which is no longer the case. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are still alums who think that, you know, much ado is being made about this, that, you know, Bryles couldn't be responsible for everything that goes on in his team, you know, whatever the excuse you want to make. 
But there are also many, many, many alums who who say that, you know, that's not what they want their campus known for. That's not what their school is about. Um, There's a group of alums that have been very, very vocal in terms of asking for um, the, you know, more details from the Pepper Hamilton report, um, pushing for change, pushing for cultural change. So I, I think those are probably the majority, but yes, there is, un, you know, there is still a group that, that supports Bryles. And, and I love how we talk about campus here because a university or college campus is much different than a professional sporting world. Like we always ask the question, you know, what does Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, what do they really know about Ezekiel Elliott, right? <laughs> and But the way that we approach things that happen on campus is a lot different than how we approach and hold people accountable at the professional sporting world as well. Yes and no. Um, I do think that there is um, maybe more of a, a, a like a familial tie to your your university or the the university with which you identify. Um, but there are some you know there are some pretty passionate fans about professional teams too. Um, so I, I think it's you know I always say that the the fan is short for fanatic and there's a reason for that right well put well nancy great work covering the story uh you can check it out usatoday.com cfl team backtracks won't hire former baylor coach art briles after all follow nancy on twitter at nr nr armor as i try to spit that out uh nancy really appreciate this today thank you thanks for having me gareth nancy armor joining us here on toronto today for me, it's a complicated case. The one thing that everyone can agree on is that Art Bryles never should have been considered for such a position. It's not what this league's all about. Heck, this is the biggest story coming out of the CFL this year. Tell me the second biggest story in the CFL this year. I don't know. But this story featuring an 0-8 team took headlines both north and south of the border. Typically in the past, it was bringing up players. Whether it was Ricky Williams or player with checkered past here or there. I mean, CFL is being a second-chance league. But the temperature today is much different. And I think the way that we respond to things like this up in this country is a lot different south of the border. There's a tribalism amongst professional teams. Like, you tell me, like the New York Giants. Who is the kicker on the New York Giants? Josh Brown? Like, him beating his wife and everything that came along with that. The Giants tried to bury that, man. They kept him on the team. They defended that guy to the hills. Yet, the professional organization, no one was losing their job, like, over that, over the lack of handling of that. What professional football teams know about the inappropriate behavior of their players and the way that they bury it, it's on par with what's going on with the N- with the NCAA. There's bad stuff happening all the time. Yet they're not held to the same standard. And this isn't me defending Bryles. This is me ch- talking about the hypocrisy of the situation. That if we hit out at Bryles and the whole idea of him getting that second chance, well... The microscope should be turned on a whole lot of other people and a whole lot of other organizations and the the way that they cover up, systematically cover up discretions, lawbreakers, and undesirables. We're all hypocrites when it comes to the situation, just FYI. And as long as we can acknowledge that, then we can all get along and just be in complete agreement. 
that the Ticats made a mistake? Should they be punished from here on after because of this mistake? Absolutely not. But can we all learn from it? 100%. That was the story from yesterday. Let's talk about our stories today. The Sharapova sham, or the Shamapova, as Scrizzy likes to call it. I also want to get into my goal call from Toronto FC. I want to explain to you how it played out and what was going on at the time I was yelling and screaming. Kevin Pollard's defensive play outweigh what he doesn't bring to the table at the plate and which Maple Leafs forward should be expendable by the hockey club heading into training camp so they can somehow, some way, address weakness in terms of quality and depth on the back end. I want to hear from you. 416-870-1050 and toll free at 1-855-591-6876. The text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca at WheelerTSN on Twitter. I'm back. I'm pumped. Let's do this. 90 more minutes coming your way. Wheels with you. This is TSN 1050. I'm a Is this Beaver? Major Lazer. Any song that sounds like this, I just assume it's Justin Bieber. Or it's someone featuring Justin Bieber. Like that song, Despacito. Is Bieber actually in that song? He embraces his Latin roots, dating back to his time in Stratford, Ontario. Yeah, he's in the remix. He's not in the original. (laughs) You know that's the most watched video in YouTube history? That oh, changed right. like six months ago because it was Gangnam Style. Yeah. But it was that Wiz Khalifa song. With, From uh, Fast and the Furious, yeah. like 12. Yeah. Whatever that was. And then Despacito took that over like a uh, month ago. Crazy. It just shows you YouTube where it's at, people. I wonder if I could start a kick-ass YouTube channel. And I'll just link Justin Bieber to everything. Boom! Instant views. Wheels featuring Justin Bieber. I need to find a guy. Like, I need, like, Joe Bieber. Like, Joe Narsa, a producer. Can we change your last name to Bieber? And I'll be like, hey, come listen to the Wheels and Bieber show. What? People will flock to it, ratings, and then we'll just disappoint once they realize it's Joe Bieber, not Justin. Well, it's funny because I actually met a artist in Toronto that had changed his band's name. Hold on, hold on, like a like a painting artist. No, no, or a, music a music artist. Okay. A music artist. He was a guitarist, and he changed his name to The Weekend. So he changed his band's name to The Weekend because he was telling me that most people will mistype the name The Weekend into iTunes, and he'll pop up. Right. So maybe we could. Maybe I could be Joe Bieber. I just need some tats, a better voice, and maybe, you know, got to work out Okay, and then I'll change my name to Wheeler Kardashian. Oh, Kardashian and Biebs in the morning. Boom. Done. Produced by Scrizzy. AKA Drizzy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could be Mike Drake. I actually have a friend named Mike Drake, but you can be Mike Drake. There we go. In, In this industry, the one thing I don't get is when radio DJs, or television people, they change their name to something completely different. Like, so they have a radio or television persona that's different from who they are in real life. Are you kidding me? 
There are so many people that have fake names in this industry. Like, you know who the people are who go by their real names? Guys like Gareth Wheeler. George Strombolopoulos. There's no way that Strombo is changing his name to Strombolopoulos, right? Like, that's who he is. But some of these names out there that aren't real, it's like, are you kidding me? Does anyone else think it's downright bizarre? Imagine an athlete, you know? Someone like... um, like LeBron James. LeBron James just doesn't have a good ring to it. I'm going to be Johnny Buckets. From now on, just call me Johnny Buckets. What do you mean? Chad Ochocinco, Kaká, Ronaldinho, none of their well, real names. The Brazilian guys are kind of different, okay? Because they change. They have like five, six names, very difficult to say, so they just shorten it and take a part of their name, and that's kind of like their nickname. and becomes their moniker. So I guess that is a fair comparable, Joe. Well done, but well done, Joe Bieber over there. I do my best. But just when like a radio host or a Canadian television celebrity, it's like, what? That's not your real name? Why did you change it? Anyways. Rant done. Uh, I want to know, Maple Leafs signed Connor Brown to his new three-year contract. Well-deserved. I like what Connor Brown said, by the way, in his interview with Kristen Shilton. You can read it at... TSN.ca, basically, uh, when Kristen was asking him, or or someone was asking him, Kristen just kind of wrote the story around it, um, about him taking a hometown discount. First of all, since when is a hometown discount $2.1 million in year number two, three, and four in the league? Guys only played one year. Hometown discount? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just turn that narrative on its side, push it away, kick it to the curb, because I don't want to hear that. I'm having none of that. But Connor Brown responded and said, I think it's a good contract for both sides. It sets me up well with potential to be a Leaf for a long time. Hopefully I can hold up my end of the bargain. I love that answer. I love this kid. There's a reason why Mike Babcock raves about the work ethic of guys like Brown and Hyman, because they're character players. And I don't care if you're old, you're young, you need players like that on your team. So we're all happy with the contract. I think everyone's generally happy that Connor Brown will be a Maple Leaf. You know, unless there's some unforeseen situation uh, for the next three years. But which Maple Leafs forwards do you believe should be deemed expendable by the hockey club? There are 18 plus, considering young players, potential Toronto Marlies players who could make an impression that are competing for 12 starting spots. It's a logjam. I think that the Maple Leafs have too many. Forwards up front, it's a good problem to have. But it's a situation where there's going to be numbers that are going to be left out when you could deal from a position of strength to add to a position on the back end that is clearly weak. Clearly the weak spot, the Achilles heel for this Maple Leafs team is their back end. And they need help in terms of depth, in terms of quality. So what players would you deem expendable that the Maple Leafs or who the Maple Leafs could potentially send out to address some of their frailties on the back end? 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050 as the phone lines are open. 1-855-591-6876. At Wheeler TSN on Twitter. If you don't want to chat, 
If you want to be anti-social, you can text me as well to 105050. Email live at tsn1050.ca. Let's see if our callers end up changing their names. That's what we should do. We should have their caller give us their real name and what they like to be called as they call into the program. Give me your radio name. Let's have some fun with this. Come on, Toronto. I want to hear from you. Maple Leafs training camp opening up right around the corner. Who do you deem expendable? For me, all roads lead to JVR being the odd man out. Not because of his play, not because of his age, but because he will be a free agent after this year. And to get something for that, and a guy who you most likely cannot re-sign, it has to be JVR, right? Who's going to be deemed expendable by this team? 416-870-1050. Let's go up to Richmond Hill. What's up, Peter? Hey there. I'm a little confused. I'm a little confused with all the whining about the Leafs needing to trade for a D. We already know they tried to move JVR for Hamannick, but got a better offer. So do you give up? Do you give up, Peter? To make a deal, no, who's giving up? To make a deal, you need two parties, buddy. Yeah. Not one. Okay. You need another first team to deal with at the end of the day. Having too many forwards is a great position to be in. That, the, that they can make that deal. The problem is you need someone else to make the deal. You don't think that JVR, any other JVR team JVR in the is, NHL is willing to deal a D-man at this point? No one else? Uh, not not the type of D-man that the Leafs are looking for. If you're looking at, I think, listen, JVR is a good player. We've had the privilege of watching him. You saw what it took to get Hamannick. It would have taken JVR a first-round draft pick and something else. Okay. So at the end of the day, I think what you're asking for, what everyone would like, if you're talking one of those Drew Dowdies, you're talking one of those number, number one Ds, forget what the Leafs have to offer. I think they have more than enough to do the deal. Peter, the I, ne- I, 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 I never... I someone on the other side to take the deal. I never suggested bringing in a Drew Dowdy. What I did suggest was upgrading the depth and quality in the team. Do you think anyone in Edmonton, Peter is complaining that the Oilers gave away or traded away Taylor Hall and brought in Adam Larson. And they're not like-for-like in terms of talent, but that's what you need to do for your team to take the next step. But there's no Adam Larson out there for the Leafs to get right now. How do you know that? It's not sitting there. (laughs) It's not sitting there. Because I guarantee you, when they were going after Hamannick, they've been doing it. You need patience, my friend, or you'll end up trading for a number 5D when you're really looking for a number one or two, and you'll give up what it takes to give a number one or two and end up with a number five. So you don't, don't need it. You don't they need a number number one or number two, because I think we'd all agree they got depth, but they're lacking that number one. Well, I think they're lacking more than a number one. I think they're lacking a potential number five or six. I think that they need help in terms of depth. And in top end quality, I think they need to fill out both categories in order to legitimately believe that this team is good enough to be a playoff team year in, year out. I appreciate the phone call, but it's not as if Hamannick was the only defenseman traded this offseason. There's D men who do come available, and I'm sorry, like, I'm not the GM that's making the phone calls, but I like to think that. You can make and find a trade partner if you have assets that warrant making that trade. And for the Maple Leafs, I think they got a lot of assets that would be deemed desirable by teams around this league. A lot of players. JVR is more of a rental, but if you're a team that wants to build around a 28-year-old player in their prime right now, then you go out and get them. 
this league is full of teams with deficiency up front as well. It just happens to be that the Maple Leafs problems on the back end. Chris in Richmond Hill. What's going on, Chris? Are you going to defend your buddy Peter from Richmond Hill? Or are you going to be on Team Wheeler? Chris. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Got you now, buddy. How are you? Yeah, I'm on Wheeler's side for sure. Thanks, Bob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I think with us, uh, we've got so many pieces up front that we can actually put in uh, another rookie with Van Riemsdyk for a better piece. So, uh, I mean, if we get to the trade deadline, everyone's hungry for a scorer, obviously a guy that uh, like James Van Riemsdyk. So um, I think when his contract subsides, we obviously can't sign him. So I, I think the best guy to puzzle him in with is Josh Levo because uh, – Babcock, obviously, he's more of a Soshnikov fan. Um, Levo doesn't get the playing time that he deserves. And I think one of the best teams to go for is coincidentally the team that Hamannick went to because they're loaded on the back end. And I, I think uh, I think Berkey's uh, really familiar with Levo. And I think if those two pieces went over there, we might be able to take some of their defense on their back end. And these are manageable contracts where you not only have control, but it's not a big number you're giving them either, right? And I, I think the Calgary Flames, Flames probably would like some more help up front, right? So, uh, listen, I just think that there's a certain window for this Maple Leafs team, and the window is open, and I firmly believe the organization believes so, and they're not going to hit the panic button here. But they bring in Marlowe, you bring in Hainsey, you bring in more. You don't bring in three players 36 years of age and older if you don't think you have a chance to do some damage now. And I just think it's quite clear with 18-plus forwards competing for 12 starting spots, there's got to be, be a deal that can be made that can make sense for the organization both for the now and for the future as well, Chris. Yeah, and I honestly personally think, too, um, that there is a timeline here, right? Because uh, we know these, obviously, Nylander's contract is going to be coming up uh, very soon. Um, and we've got, we've got to get players as soon as we can because as soon as we have to sign Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, we're going to see some other players that we're going to end up losing. Fortunately, I, I think the reason why we won't have Brackle on our team this year is because he's got mono. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I think this, I think the timeline for a defenseman is we we need to make a move very soon, um, and, and I, hopefully it comes before trade deadline. And I, I hope we do get a move going on because I, I would like us to see see us go further in playoffs. But yeah, I appreciate you taking my call. Good stuff, Chris. You're a worthwhile first round draft pick for Team Wheeler. Good stuff. Continue to take your phone calls through the top of the clock. Which Maple Leafs forward do you deem expendable now that the team has 18-plus players signed competing for those 12 spots on the forward lines? At Wheeler TSN on Twitter, the text is 105050. The email live at tsn1050.ca. 416-870-1050. I want to hear from you, Toronto. Get after it. This is Toronto, uh, Toronto Today, TSN 1050.